The scripture passage for today is taken from Romans chapter 10, verses 5 to 13. And I'll be reading from the English Standard Version. For Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law, that the person who does the commandments shall live by them. But the righteousness based on faith says, do not say in your heart, who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart, that is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame, for there, for there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Matthew left me a little note that at the beginning of the service, uh, right before the call to worship, he says, peace be with you, and the people will respond, and also with you. I missed that mark. <laughs> Some of you might relate to this. But growing up, uh, I didn't hear the words, I love you very much. Hmm. My mother, who might actually be, will be watching at some point in time, um, confessed, admitted this to me when maybe when I was in high school, that our family, we don't say I love you very much. And while some people have such ease saying it to their kids for our family again growing up, it was hard. And that isn't to say that we didn't love each other, it was just easier to write it in a card uh, than to say it with words. Some may have had parents, or maybe our parents, who have had a hard time saying those words. Even today, with my parents and siblings, uh, we rarely say it. It's easier to say, you know, I'm proud or I'm happy uh, for you, but to say the word love is awkward. It is uncomfortable. And if we do say it, it feels a little forced and, and there's a little bit of stammering and just kind of, you know, half-heartedly saying, okay, I love you, bye-bye. <laughs> um, but for my family now, like with me and my wife and my children, it's different. And I'm not sure why, but maybe it's something subconscious or maybe it's something intentional. Um, but over and over throughout the day, I'll say to my kids, I love you. For no reason, I love you when they're eating, when they're playing, when they're sitting in the car, before they sleep. And for years, they've humored me. Uh, my oldest is nine years old, and I'm beginning to feel his eyes start to roll whenever I talk to him once in a while. <laughs> There's a scene in the first uh, Spider-Man, Spider-Verse movie, I don't know if any of you are on that, where my, the main character, uh, Miles, his dad is a cop, and he drops him off at school, and this is his first day at this new school. And the dad says, I love you in the car. And Miles says something like, I know, and leaves the car. And the dad, using the patrol car's loudspeaker, says, you have to say it back in front of everyone. <laughs> and he says, Dad, are you kidding me? On the first day of school, say it back. And he says, ugh, I love you. And he walks in. I say I love you to my wife all the time. 
And sometimes she'd look at me and say, it sounds like you're just trying to remind yourself of that, and I feel no emotion behind those words. But the act of saying something as a confession in a promise is important because in a lot of ways it is what makes it real. This is not a strange idea. In fact, there is something out there that is trending called manifestation. It has 36 billion views on TikTok, this, this topic. And the idea is if you speak something with enough confidence and with enough frequency, it would become reality. If you speak it, it becomes real. Now, I don't know if we necessarily believe that, but I read that we often assume people will know that we care, but it is the simple act of saying, I love you, that reassures their heart. I read that we ought to be people who communicate our love for those around us, and that that is the right and healthy thing to do. I think these are wise words. If you think about wedding vows, I mean, you had to say, I do, for them to be valid. Um, even credit card companies, whenever they call you and ask for your money, they will ask for your verbal consent. A person's words matter. And according to Paul, it seems to be the same with faith. For years, we've seen this troubling trend where faith is becoming more and more of a private affair. Though today it's encouraging to see, with the help of social media, a lot of celebrities and athletes who are beginning to share their faith, but long gone are the days when one could assume that based on someone's country or their background, where they were born, who their parents were, that they are Christians, or that they know anything about the Christian faith, in fact. In university, I studied art and art history, so I had to take a bunch of different studio courses, and in one of our art projects, uh, in our drawing class, we were tasked to draw, draw an animal. And I decided to draw an eagle because for the longest time it had been my favorite animal. I proposed this to the prof, uh, the instructor, that I would write the words of Isaiah 40, 31 under it, my favorite Bible verse because it spoke of an eagle. And you might know that it reads, But those who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength, they shall mount up with wings like eagles, they shall run and not be weary, they shall walk and not faint. And when I proposed this to her, she said, oh, you're a Christian? I had no idea. And that hit me like a ton of bricks. As some of you may know, I grew up as a pastor's kid. My father was a minister for many, many years. And so why was it that she could not see from the way I dressed from the way I spoke, from how polite I was, or how well put together I was, uh, how disciplined I was, how I excelled in my craft, in all my mannerisms. How is it that she could not know that I was a Christian? Having said that, I wasn't particularly great of any of the above. <laughs> but it shocked and kind of appalled me. I must be failing as a Christian, I thought. I must be a terrible Christian. Woe is me who have failed you, O Lord. How is it that she, my favorite instructor, instructor at the time, did not know I was a Christian? Any guesses? Mm, because I didn't tell her. It, is, it really is a simple idea. But people will not know you are Christian for the most part unless you tell them. 
Some of the kindest people in the world you meet, you might ask them, oh, are you a Christian? And they will say, oh, no, I am Muslim, or I am Jewish, or I am an atheist, or whatever it may be. So in this day and age, you can't tell a Christian simply by the way they act. Now, I've been guilty of preaching from something that I had heard along the way. There's this uh, claim that St. Francis of Assisi had written the words or said the words at some point in time, preach the gospel at all times when necessary, use words. Preach the gospel at all times when necessary, use words. But now it's proven after doing a little bit of digging that he's actually never said this. In fact, he said something far more nuanced to the effect of don't just talk the talk, but walk the walk, which is a little different. This isn't my paraphrase. He didn't use those words. But I confess and repent of this because that when I first heard preach the gospel at all times uh, and when necessary use words, I thought it was gold. I thought this was great because it seemed to be like an antidote to much of the backlash against Christianity. In the world where there seems to be far too many people who seem to talk the talk and not walk the walk. And so it made sense to me at the time that the opposite must be a better option. It must be better to not necessarily talk, but just do. But today's passage tells us differently. Paul begins by establishing how in the Old Testament, the people of God were given the law so that they might know how to live righteously. He writes in verse 5, Moses writes concerning the righteousness that comes from the law, that the person who does these things will live by them. But of course, with the coming of Christ, things have changed. No longer is there a requirement for the law to be obeyed for it had been fulfilled in Christ's work on the cross. It wasn't through obedience so much that one found uh, righteousness and salvation, I should say, but it is through faith in Christ. Righteousness comes through faith. Here Paul alludes to a passage that would have been well known to the Jewish listener from Deuteronomy chapter 30, which is after the people of God, before entering into the promised land, are given uh, anew the law of God and his covenant with them. He tells them, that they, he tells them there that if they love him and obey him, they will find life. In Romans, we continue in verse 6, it says, But the righteousness that comes from faith says, Do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. In other words, there is no need to strive to reach heaven to find salvation, because Christ has come, Emmanuel, and by faith has become accessible to all who put their faith in him. There's no need to even go down into the abyss or to the dead to bring Christ up because Christ rose from the dead and it is in him that we find salvation. The passage continues, but what does it say? The word is near you on your lips and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Where once it would have been the word or laws of God that was the path to life Paul says here that it is the word of faith that gives life. In verse 9, it reads, Because if you confess with your lips that Jesus is Lord 
and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For one believes with the heart, and so is justified, and one confesses with the mouth, and so is saved. The scripture says, No one who believes in him will be put to shame, for there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. The same Lord is Lord of all and is generous to all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. This word of faith, this gospel message is no longer just for the Jewish people, but now to the Gentiles and all who would put their trust in Christ, which is really the major theme of the book of Romans. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now, when I read this for what wasn't but seemed like the first time, something stuck out to me that I had not noticed before. Now, we know from Reformed doctrine and theology that if you believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord, you are justified. You are justified by grace alone. The gospel message is that we are saved by grace alone, that we must believe in Jesus Christ, and if we believe in our hearts that he died on the cross and rose again to redeem us from our sins, then we are saved. But sometimes, at least in maybe subconsciously, I don't know, but we will often stop there. If I believe in my heart, then that is all that matters. If I know that I am a Christian, then through Christ I am saved, and that is enough. And perhaps there is some danger to that, because it seems that to be an incomplete picture of what salvation is based on what Paul is saying here, at least. Paul is making a very important point here. He's saying that if you believe in your hearts, you are justified, yes. Your sins taken care of, you are declared righteous by God in Christ. But the evidence of a saving faith is not only what you believe in your heart, but also with what you confess with your lips. Again, he writes, if you confess with your lips that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For one believes with the heart and so is justified, and one confesses with the mouth and so is saved. So here is where the idea of kind of a private versus public faith might come in. Paul seems to suggest that true salvation is made evident not simply by what we believe in our hearts in secret, but must also be something that we proclaim and confess with our lips. Because is something truly real in our lives if only we only believe it in our hearts but don't speak it? Or even conversely, is something real if we speak it but don't really believe it? I believe that something is most real when it is both believed in the heart and confessed with the lips. This is, in essence, a direct critique of many so-called believers today who might claim that they are Christians but say that it is a private matter, that it is only between me and God. But this, of course, is not how God purposed things to be. Even from the days of the Old Testament, when Israel was pulled out of Egypt, God set them apart to be his people. But not in some hidden land, far away, secluded from the rest of the world. No, he actually gave them laws and a way of life that was meant to show the world the holiness of God. It was to be through their testimony, through their confession, through their recollection, through their belief 
through how they clung to God, through their words and actions, they were to show the world who he was. In other words, faith is not a private matter only. Paul is saying believing in Christ, being justified and saved, means that you not only believe in your hearts that Jesus is Lord, but you confess it with your lips. And we might say, but, well, I said my sinner's prayer out loud many years ago, but I'm convinced that Paul is not talking about a one-time thing here. But he's talking about a life. A lifestyle where the word of faith is near you in your heart and on your lips. In fact, if in one of the verses, it's flipped over. He, he puts on your lips first and then in your heart as if there is a time where they don't have a certain priority. They are equally of importance. This is why in the Bible we read time and time again that the people of God are commanded to sing, to proclaim, to tell, to say, to confess, to spread the good news of God and his love and grace. Paul seems to be saying, having true faith, true saving faith, a faith that justifies us, sanctifies us, and saves us, is more than just believing it in your heart, in the secret places of our lives. Even if it shapes the way we live, when we believe something in our hearts, we know that it shapes the way we live, right? But even if it does shape the way we live, there is an element of it that needs to be on our lips, And I think ministers have the advantage on this because we have a vocation that lets us do this week after week. So we have it easy in a sense, right? I mean, I've been told that being a minister is the best job in the world. Uh, I don't know if Matthew would agree. I'll ask him later. But but because it gives us the opportunity to do this and to, to go into the Word of God and talk about it on a regular basis. But for some of us, it's not so easy. Now, while this seems to make the point that faith that only occupies the heart is incomplete, and we might think then that if we've never shared our faith before, then our faith is flawed, we also have to allow ourselves a little bit of grace, knowing that the Christian faith is a growing and sanctifying one, where we are growing together into maturity and the likeness of Christ. And while I think God be praised, Westminster in many ways is modeling a boldness in the gospel that I am so thankful to be able to witness and be a part of. We might feel discouraged, apprehensive, especially in this day and age, nervous to say anything about what we believe, afraid even. But Paul reassures us, quoting from Isaiah 28, 18, the scripture says, no one who believes in him will be put to shame. No one who believes in him will be put to shame. The reality is that to believe something in your heart is not actually a private matter. As I said, what you believe about something actually does shape your actions and more importantly, your words. We rave about the new restaurant we discovered or the new recipe or the the new car or the new gadget. We go around saying, oh, have you seen this? I got to show you this. I just got to tell you about this thing. So when we come to a right belief about Christ, as we keep the word of God near to our hearts, then we come to know that Jesus is the greatest news of all time. This is what Christmas is all about. 
And we are just coming out of the season where we have been focusing for so long on Emmanuel, God, with us. And this is good news. This is news too good to be kept just for Christmas. And if we keep the good news of Christ in our hearts, how long before we can't help but rave about him? And so, brothers and sisters, as 2023 comes to an end, and we look towards the beginning of a new year, just as we can get better at saying, I love you to our loved ones, perhaps we can get better in keeping Christ not only in our hearts, but on our lips. Paul writes in Romans chapter 1, verse 16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. What would it look like for us to live in 2024 and beyond not ashamed of the gospel, believing and living out in the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, knowing that those who believe in him shall not be put to shame, Will we cling ever more closer to his word and let it fill our hearts and mouths? Brothers and sisters, can we, will we live with Christ, not only in our hearts but on our lips? Will we not only believe that Jesus is alive but confess with our lips that Jesus Christ is Lord, even in the face of adversity and before the world? However, always knowing with full confidence that all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Amen.